This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with the hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. Happy day after Easter to you, Tony. Yeah, same to you. Yes, it's, it was beautiful weather here. I assume it was for you as well. It was, well, cold morning, but nice afternoon. Put it that it, way. Well, well, and actually, yeah, by 10 o'clock, because we, uh, we had a big outdoor Easter service uh, at yep. the church that you used to attend, but you can't anymore because you now live two hours away. Uh, <laughs> so it was actually really, really great, um, obviously, not only to, to celebrate Easter, but just to see that many people from our church all gathered there uh, because that hasn't happened in a while because the indoor services are still, I forget what our current uh, capacity is, but it's nothing close to filling the sanctuary because we're still doing the distancing and, and all that stuff. Yeah. I think, I think the state mandate was 50%. I don't know if that's right or not, but it's a sanctuary that holds over 2000. I believe. Um, it's close to that. Maybe yeah. I think 1800. Near, yeah. Near that number. And I, I did see some pictures from yesterday. It looked like there was a parking room or standing room only parking in the streets. And there was a lot of cars. That's good. That well, everybody drove their own car. They didn't want to share a car with anybody. Uh, so uh, how do I want to start this? Uh, I sent you a text last night, said, I got to talk. Um, I'm morally outraged at the moral leadership of our presumed betters. Does that make sense? Our Maybe. presumed and self-declared betters? Yes. Who, uh, are, who are lessers? Yes. So we talk about our friend, and I don't want to focus on our friend, but he was part of the impetus for this discussion. Well, and, here's and- the thing. He's very – okay, one of the reasons that we discuss him is, number one, he's a public intellectual. Um, number two, he he constantly posts about these topics and engages with people. So this is not like we're uh, you know, talking to some private individual who we keep poking at. These are These are things that he – publicly discusses on his blog and he is very willing to engage in uh, discourse on this. And the other thing is, is that his viewpoint is very representative of a certain kind of thinker. And what's more salient to me is that he is out there as an evangelical Christian, that that's who he is promoting these kinds of ideas and engaging in, let's just say, less than flattering categor- uh, characterizations of people who are also evangelical Christians who happen to disagree with him on these points or who happen to be Trump voters. And so that's the reason that we often, I think, use him as a springboard because it allows us to discuss not only the topics of the day, which is his Bailiwick, and he does other things. He's a historian, so he talks about those things as well. But uh, he's been on the Trump political beat for the last four years and seemingly counting. And as I've said repeatedly, because he is someone that is out in the public square as a professing Christian, and of course he he is at great length to point out how all the Christians that he doesn't agree with are harming the gospel and harming their witness. My view is that he's harming the gospel in many ways by not by his viewpoints, but by attacking other Christians as Christians, 
not as thinkers, not as people who he has political differences with, but as Christians, that to me is much more harmful than someone like Robert Jeffress saying that he likes Trump. So that's just a way of prefacing why we use him in many cases as a springboard for these ideas. Yeah, and, and very good summary and springboard. Um, so I want to I want to go back a couple months um, to January, early January. Raphael Warnock was a reverend is a reverend in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, at Ebenezer Baptist Church. If if you're not familiar with that, that's where Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was the pastor uh, prior to his assassination. Raphael Warnock is the senior pastor at that church, and he was running for um, U.S. Senate from the state of Georgia. In the He ran in November, didn't get enough votes to win it, um, ran again in early January, and won. So our friend um, put up a post on January 8th talking about Raphael Warnock on moral leadership. He held up Raphael Warnock as a moral leader for our time, uh, he contrasted him with with Donald Trump and and others. No, he contrasted him with Donald Trump. He, he never contrasts anyone with Donald Trump. No, so I, he he put that out, and at the time I'm like, okay, I, I think we even talked about it. I have some concerns about Raphael Warnock. Forget that he's at Ebenezer Baptist Church. He just happens to be at Ebenezer Baptist Church. They are not the same people, Martin Luther King Jr. and Raphael Warnock. They just happen to be at the same pulpit. Okay. That's where the similarities, in my opinion, end between the two. So then on, if we go back a little further, he talks about why white evangelicals criticize the black church. Basically framing, if you make any criticism of a black pastor, it's because you might be a racist. You might have some isms that you need to exorcise. And white evangelicals really don't have a place to say something about this. And that was brought up yesterday, and I'll get to that in a moment. Uh, then we go to why is Amy Coney Barrett's Christian faith off limits, but Raphael Warnock's Christian faith is fair game. And I think we talked that at the time, Amy Coney Barrett was being confirmed for the U.S. Supreme Court. She was not running for office. Okay, they were two different things because she cannot enact legislation. Raphael Warnock could. So there's a different questions you ask of somebody who can pass legislation in the legislative body versus somebody who adjudicates whether or not what the legislation you passed is constitutional or not. There are two different services, two different areas. Yeah. And and he knows full well that there is no, and can be no religious test for service on the Supreme court as one of those justices. And in fact, what's even more, um, disingenuous and really, again, very typical, recently of how he writes about this stuff is you would think that somebody who's a Christian would have actually focused more on the fact that there were many Democrats who are attempting to smear Amy Coney Barrett because of her Catholic faith, because she is a devout Christian, and essentially claiming that that rendered her unfit. Diane Feinstein's famous phrase, the dogma lives loudly within you, whatever that's supposed to mean. And so they were essentially marking her as you can't be a justice of the Supreme Court because you just have too much of that icky religious stuff going on. I don't really remember our friend writing at all his dismay 
no. at that line of attack. Instead, he's defending Raphael Warnock and is indignant that anyone would be examining the kinds of things that he actually says to see, for instance, very similar to Joe Biden, whether they're actually consistent with his professed faith as someone, to your point, who is now a public official. He's an elected member of the United States Senate who will be, I presume, allowing his faith to inform the policy choices that he supports. The idea that that's somehow out of bounds is ridiculous. Agreed. So two two people made tweets yesterday. And again, it's Twitter. Take it for what it is. But people, these two individuals made tweets yesterday. One was Mike Huckabee. Okay. And I want to read his tweet. I don't want to get too deep into it, but I want to read his tweet. He said, I've decided to, quote unquote, identify as Chinese. Coke will like me. Delta will agree, will agree with me and my values, quote unquote. And I'll probably get shoes from Nike and tickets to Major League Baseball games. Ain't America great? Okay. Beth Moore calls him out. This is entirely antithetical to the gospel. Okay. And stop there. I don't stop know. Stop there. <laughs> what exactly? Uh, okay. There's a couple things here. Um, I guess you can object to his tone. Uh, maybe you can, uh, maybe she thinks that he's being sarcastic or mean spirited tone is difficult in social yeah. media. What I want to know is, and go on because the main critique, and this is one that our friend echoes is that somehow the tweet that you just read is racist. Yes. I want someone to explain to me, anyone who's listening, anyone who agrees with our friend, what it is exactly about that statement that is racist, not, well, maybe it's attempted humor. Maybe it was uh, tone deaf because really what they mean by racist is you said the word Chinese and therefore mm-hmm. that's somehow racist. I'm sorry. I'm going to need an intelligent person to connect those dots because it seems to me that all it is, is the normal reflexive if we don't like what you're saying and you've used a word that sounds vaguely like it deals with another race, that makes something racist. I'm sorry. That's not correct. Yeah. Well, here's his, this is our friends writing. Huckabee's tweet was click, quickly condemned as racist as many Asian Americans and anti-hate speech advocates have, have pointed to anti-Chinese rhetoric as a key driver in rising anti-Asian hate and hate crimes in the U S he okay, respond- stop full stop. Yep. So let's just parse that sentence. Okay, first of all, I love the I'm not actually going to say what I think. Mm-hmm. I'm going to point to other people who have claimed it's racist. Why don't you claim it's racist if that's what you believe and explain why? Moreover, what about that specific tweet is somehow targeted in a uh, an attacking racist way towards people who are Asian? Does he attempt to explain that at all? No, no, he does not. I want to read Huckabee's response to Beth Moore. He said, hi, Beth Moore. I love you and appreciate your ministry. I don't take Twitter or myself that seriously, but I do take gospel seriously. I truly wish you only joy and continued blessings. May the power of the resurrection lift you to high places this Easter weekend, my dear sister. Our friend goes on to say he didn't even respond to her critique. 
<laughs> okay. What do you think he would have said if he had responded and said, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that you were offended, but there is nothing racist about what I wrote. Our friend would then have said, and he doubled down on his original racism without apologizing, right? You can't win. You can't win in that regard. So here's what our friend says. Why does Huckabee write tweets like this? He writes them because his faith is held hostage to culture war politics. He needs the attention of his 1.6 million Twitter followers in order to stay relevant. The sad part of it all this is that Huckabee knows these tweets are racist and divisive, but he posts them anyway. Right. Again, with no explanation, we're just question begging at this point. And my, oh my, it just puts me in the mind of moats and beams, doesn't it, Chad? This idea that people, these mean people who don't understand the gospel are sending out these divisive tweets. Who would think of doing something like that? Certainly not our messenger, the man who never attacks other Christians or claims that they're, I don't know, anti-intellectual intellectual bigots, possibly mass murderers because they were they grew up in the what Southern Baptist tradition, all mm-hmm. those sorts of unifying tweets from somebody who is now chastising a guy for reasons that he doesn't want to explain because apparently they're self-evident. He goes on. North Carolina Congressman Greg Murphy, who identifies as a conservative Christian, he uses that in quotes. He was one of 138 House members, six of whom were evangelical Christians, who did not vote to certify the results of the 2020 Electoral College count. As we pointed out, it didn't matter. It was going to happen. It didn't matter that they didn't certify it. It's irrelevant. The Democrats did it in 2016. But uh, but here's an even bigger point. Again, there's just a lot of stuff that he's not explaining. What exactly is – now let's get this clear – Not necessarily if you want to make the argument that it's unreasoning or it's not factual. What is unchristian about refusing to certify an election? Uh, Again, deafening silence in any attempt to explain that. Apparently, it's just taken – you have to take it on faith. It's it's just a truth claim. It's axiomatic that that's the case. No, actually, it's not, and I have no idea what he's talking about. I don't either, but he links it with a tweet that Greg Murphy posted. He said Kamala Harris was only chosen as Biden's vice president because of her quote unquote color and her race and questions Biden's mental condition. Now, let me let me clarify here. Kamala Harris was chosen on her gender and her race, color and her race, which same thing to me, but gender as well. And Biden's mental condition should be in question. Biden came out so far to say, I'm going to pick a female. And it was rumored because he wanted a, a minority female. So she sure. was chosen because of her color and her race. And Biden's mental condition, if anybody's paying attention, should be called into question. Should have been called into question a year ago. How is that some what Greg Murphy quoted or tweeted? Is that somehow something that's not obvious to literally everybody, including Kamala Harris, that she was chosen? Yeah. Cause well, of and, what- and and to your point, 
when you talk to any of the people who are the intellectual leaders or the political leaders of the Democratic Party, which again, even though our friend claims that he's not politically affiliated, he seems to align 107% with almost everything that they believe in and support with the exception of abortion. And on that issue, he's definitely... um, let's just say not nearly as morally outraged as he is about other issues which you know he he bangs the table about but the point is they specifically cite race and gender as the number one and number two criteria by which they are selecting people for various positions so somehow noticing this which is their stipulated pursued identity politics that shapes all of their choices for judges, for cabinet positions. It's the number one thing that they cite. It's somehow beyond the pale to mention this. I guess. I'm like, okay, so Captain Obvious made a Captain Obvious statement, and somehow that's something bad. But he's calling out Greg Murphy for one other thing. So there's a Capitol policeman killed on Saturday, uh, attacked and killed with a knife by a Nation of Islam supporter. By the way, that story's been everywhere, right, Chad? Yes, it was It was everywhere on Saturday as it happened in crickets ever since. Uh, so Ilhan Omar, no friend of the United States in my opinion, uh, she tweeted, heartbroken to learn another CP was killed while protecting the Capitol. My thoughts and prayers go out to the officer's family and the entire Capitol Police Force. The death toll would have been worse if the assailant had an AR-15 instead of a knife. No kidding, because it's a semi-automatic rifle. You're right. It wouldn't matter if it's an AR-15 or any other semi-automatic rifle. AR-15 right. is... It would also have been worse if he had an RPG. It would also have been much worse if he had a dirty nuke. It would also have been much worse if he flew a plane into a building, etc., etc. And again, you're not supposed to mention any of that, uh, even though Ilhan Omar, as you said, has explicitly endorsed terrorist regimes. Remember her quote about 9-11? Somebody did something... Yes. Right. That was her that was her immediate recall of what had happened there. So, OK, I mean, if we're going to go the gun control route, which is, of course, the minute that anything happens that they find useful for that, they're going to trot that out. So, yeah. OK, that's fine. Well, so Greg Murphy responded on Twitter would have been worse, Ilhan, if they had been flying planes into the buildings also. So I guess you're not allowed. You're not allowed to say that. Uh, I I get, well, she said it would have been worse with an AR-15. The guy had a knife. He didn't have an AR-15. He had a knife. So it would have been worse if they'd have flown into a building. Yes, it would have. Somehow that is racist, and he's called out, and our friend calls him out for that, to which I reply, but that's factually accurate, and she is uh, effectively denying what happened to 9-11. It's, uh, it's, it's yes, exactly. So, so that response, particularly to her, is completely appropriate. And even if it wasn't to her, again, what is the policy argument that you're making there? Nobody ever wants to connect these dots because essentially they're all speaking from the same hive mind with these <laughs> issues. So it's almost as if we don't actually need to present some factual reasoned argument here we're just going to say words like racist and everyone understands why it's racist or it's just it's problematic it's inappropriate it's unchristian we don't actually have to to explain in a way that most people can follow why that would be true so that was the first tweet from 
from um, uh, Mike Huckabee on Sunday. This is the tweet that enraged me, and I gave our friend yesterday and all of today up till the time we started recording to speak about it. He has not. Let me read the tweet. This is Reverend, Reverend Raphael Warnock. Oh, by the way, I think now or, since deleted, correct? Correct. It has been deleted since then, yes. I wonder why. Uh, yes. This is a Baptist minister who went to Union Theological Seminary, and we'll get to that in a second. Uh, Reverend bad sign. Warnock. That's a bad start. It's a bad start. Uh, the meaning of Easter is more transcendent, transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Whether you are Christian or not, through a commitment to helping others, we are able to save ourselves. Now, which part of that? Okay, wait a minute. Which part of those two sentences do you think is worse? Uh, I'm going to go with the first one. The first sentence. I agree. I agree. I mean, the second sentence is also theologically indefensible if you are actually a Christian. But the first sentence, which is essentially what the second sentence is built on, is... There is no other word for that than heresy. There simply isn't. If you claim to be a Christian and you're going to argue that there is something that is more transcendent than Christ's death on the cross and resurrection, such that all of humanity has now been freed from the slavery of sin and claim that there's something beyond that, you're not a Christian minister. I don't know what you are, but that's certainly one thing that you're not. No, no. And our friend who endorsed Reverend Raphael Warnock. Now, he's not in Georgia, so his endorsement carries no weight whatsoever. Well, not only endorsed him, but specifically made the endorsement subject yeah. to his belief that he's a Baptist minister and we need moral leadership. Now, I can't speak to Raphael Warnock's personal character. I have nope. no idea what the man is like. But isn't it fascinating that – so our friend is very familiar with Reverend Warnock, supports him – decries people who quote-unquote attack him and is someone who is a progressive evangelical who spends 60 to 70 percent of his time bashing other evangelicals for political views that he believes undermine the gospel and he has zero to say about this statement i wonder why Mm, can't imagine so I said we would talk about Union Theological Seminary. I, for anybody who's studied in evangelical um, history, uh, the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer should come to mind. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I believe, actually went to Union Theological Seminary, but he came back to teach in 1930 and 31. Okay. And here is his quote about Union Theological Seminary. Now, Raphael Warnock got his bachelor's, master's, and doctor of divinity from Union Theological Seminary in New York City. This is Bonhoeffer. There is no theology here. They talk a blue streak without a slightest substantive foundation and with no evidence of any criteria. The students, on average 25 to 30 years old, are completely clueless with respect to what dogmatics is really about. They are unfamiliar with even the most basic questions. They become intoxicated with liberal and humanistic phrases, laugh at the fundamentalists, and yet basically are not even up to their level. Fairly condemning. No, that was 90 years ago. 
So maybe it that- sounds like things have actually gotten worse since then. Yeah. And, and another person left Harvard recently and returned to his roots at uh, Union Seminary, Cornell West. Um, this gentleman, who again was celebrated by our friend in writing that it was great, he was going back to Union Theological Seminary. This is, I actually was listening to somebody last week. Um, they were, t- it was, it was two people who'd gone to seminary and they both claimed to be atheists. <laughs> now, let that sink in for a second. They were, they went to seminary as atheists and left as atheists. And they're talking about philosophical, theological questions. Well, this is, that's actually interesting. So, um, I, I suppose, and I actually don't know the answer to this. So in terms of the mission of a seminary, right, is it evangelical in nature? And what by, by, by that I mean, if you get an application from somebody who is an avowed atheist to attend a, a Christian seminary, do you accept that person, perhaps who has a very impressive academic bio, in the hope that during their stay uh, and attendance at seminary courses and training, they will somehow become a Christian. See, I don't think that's how seminary works, though. I I just, I don't. I I certainly think a Christian college works that way. But, But admission to a seminary program, in my view, requires a commitment to the mission and the the belief system of that seminary, or it's kind of pointless. You don't want somebody graduating. First of all, I don't think you can graduate from a theological seminary without attesting to the fundamentals of the gospel. Now, again, depending on the type of seminary you go to, there's going to be different theological flavors there. Right. Okay. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is if you're a, if you're an atheist, I would think the response would be, I'm sorry, this really isn't the place for you. Let us know if you become a professing Christian and we will revisit your admission, right? I think that's kind of the way that should work. I would think if you're going to a seminary, you're training to be a pastor or serve in some sort of Right. Well, that's that's the point. If you're not, I'm not sure why you're at seminary. It doesn't. I don't know. Well, it's, it's, the point is it's not just for sort of uh, philosophical self-improvement, right? There's an actual reason that yeah. you're there other than, well, I'm an atheist and I want to learn all about uh, Christianity and the Bible and theology um, and, and all of that and hermeneutics and eschatology because I want to be able to defeat Christians in debates, right? Well, sure. that's great, and you can learn that various different ways, but that's not why you go to seminary. Shouldn't be. Well, it, I'm not making the admissions recommendations at any seminary, so I don't know what their criteria are, but I would probably agree with you. I think you want people who are going to go into the pastoral world and preach the gospel, I, I would think. But what do I know? <laughs> Apparently, I don't know anything. Maybe, maybe you want them to go in and preach the French postmodernists. I don't know. Well, I, I just want to read what Dr. West is going to be teaching at Union Theological Seminary. And let me... Let me say this. I, I don't, I've never been to a seminary. I don't know exactly what classes are taught, 
but this doesn't seem exactly like I would think what you'd get at a seminary. We know pastors, <laughs> but just listen to me. So he's going to teach a course on Bonhoeffer. Okay, that makes sense. That's good. As well as courses in philosophy of religion. Okay. African-American critical thought. Ooh, okay. you know what? Here's the interesting thing. I, I bet there was a lot of editorial, you know what? You shouldn't say critical theory, even though yeah. that's what it is. We need to change that word. It has too much baggage. It, I know critical thought, yeah. critical thought bubbles, maybe. Yes, and he's also going to teach a wide range of subjects in philosophy, politics, cultural theory, literature, and practice. Now, I, I would think a tenure-track professor. Now, he's been there three different times. He's bounced around. He recently left Harvard because they wouldn't give him a tenure-track position because he took a non-tenure-track position and was upset that they wouldn't make it a tenure-track position for him, so he went back to Union Theological. That's a lot of classes. I don't know somebody in the twilight of their career, and I believe he's in his mid-60s at this point. He might be even older than that. Is, is, are you really teaching that many classes in your mid-60s? Who really? knows? He That's seems like a pretty energetic dude. By the way, he was also in the uh, Matrix trilogy. Did you know that? I did not know that. What did he play? Um, I believe, and I can't remember which movie he made an appearance. It was the second movie. He was one of the interesting, one of the elders, I'll call them that, of Zion. That doesn't Although not meant in that way. There was the group of leaders who <laughs> had to... Uh, you know, advise and make decisions about the rebellion against the, uh, the robots. And Cornell West was one of them prominently featured. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm surprised you. you didn't know that Chad. Well, there were three matrix movies and only one of which was worth watching. That's and true. The first one was quite good. Uh, yeah, the second one was mediocre. The third one was completely incomprehensible. Well, somebody was smoking something when they wrote the second and third one and they were smoked, doubled down on the third one. Yes. I did not remember that because I've only watched those two movies once each. <laughs> I did not watch them multiple times. Uh, so I, I point all that out, not because I'm trying to jump on anybody, but if you're going to promote Raphael Warnock as a moral leader, then you have to also be able to come up and say, maybe not something I agree with. Well, wait, but it's not that he's promoting him as a moral leader. He is a Christian who is explicitly promoting him based on the idea that he is a fellow Christian from which moral leadership will presumably flow and who has, who's been specifically referenced as a Baptist minister. I'm sorry. You can't be a Baptist minister and claim number one, that there is something more transcendent than the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And number two, that you can be saved by your works. I'm pretty sure there's a whole bunch of stuff in the New Testament that says the exact opposite. And in fact, if you believe that you can be saved by works, you're not a Christian by definition. Yeah, I think it's pretty prominent. Somebody tried to, in the comments of one of these articles I read, tried to say that Paul claimed God was missing his suffer Paul's suffering, so therefore Paul added his suffering, which made it perfect then. I, I, it was 
It was lost. Yeah, up listen, there's no end to the gyrations, contortions, and tortured rationalizations that people will come up with. The bottom line is that those two statements are incompatible with Christian faith. Full stop. There's no nuance. There's no gray area. And that's fine. Just declare yourself someone who actually doesn't believe what the Word of God says about salvation. That's it. That's yeah. simple. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of our of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. That seems exactly opposite to what Raphael Warnock wrote. Yes, and if you want to be someone who bangs your drum about people who are undermining the gospel and and damaging their witness, it's hard for me to think of a worse or actually better example of that than someone who professes to be a pastor who stands in a pulpit and tells people who are listening to a sermon that they can achieve salvation through something other than accepting Jesus Christ. Christ. Okay. That is the ultimate example of someone who is actively undermining the gospel and bearing false witness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, I gave, I gave our friend an opportunity to, and and if he had said, Hey, I was wrong. I can't support this. This is antithetical to my Christian belief. And I don't, I can't support what he's saying. That would have been fine. I just said, okay, I appreciate that you actually recognize that. Well, and that doesn't even mean that he can't still, as a political matter, support Raphael Warnock because he likes his program and he likes him much better than whatever wicked mustache twirling Republican would be in that seat instead. But again, we're talking here about someone who is a Christian who says that they view the political arena as a Christian should through first and foremost a, a Christian lens because that our faith is paramount in any evaluation of what's going on in the world, right? That's the first thing. That's the only thing that really matters to a Christian. Sure. We can talk about as we do all the time on here, uh, reason and logic and political debate, but ultimately for a Christian, the only thing that matters is the word of God. What does that say? And of course that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be debate, and disagreement about those types of things. But again, this is an issue that no Christian, no professing Christian can say, well, he's got it half right. No, no, there, there is no, there is no gray area here. Okay. We're not talking about Calvinism and Arminianism. Sorry. This is, we're not talking about uh, pre and post millennialism. Okay. This is literally the core, the very essence of the Christian faith. And if you get these two wrong, then, again, you're just not a Christian. I'm sorry. That would be my take on that. Um, let's move on. So the Georgia voting law is being held up as, let's just say, something it isn't, um, which is not unusual for, for that side of the aisle. Uh, I believe there's another 13 or 17 states that are looking at something in a similar fashion. Uh have you, by the way, Chad, have you heard have you heard any of the people that are histrionically opposing uh, the Georgia voting law as what is it? What was Biden's phrase? Jim Pterodactyl, Jim Eagle, Jim, Jim Dragon, whatever it is. It's Jim Crow on steroids. Have you heard a single one of them actually explain what is so bad about it? Again, we talked earlier about this sort of shorthand between like minded followers where it doesn't need to be said. We're just going to claim that it's racist and that's good enough. Can you point to 
anything in the law that cl- that demonstrates this? No, and I haven't heard a single one of them even attempt to make that argument. No, they they're relying on the ignorance and stupidity of the electorate. They're relying on their water carriers in the media the, to perform yes, the complicity and corruption and of the yep. media. That's exactly right. And They're, and they know they will never be challenged. The media will parrot this and promote it. And as you said, and we're using the term ignorance in its literal sense, meaning people just don't know. If we had a halfway honest media, they would actually report on what is in the Georgia legislation and what isn't. Has any of that taken place? Of course not, because the media wants to promote the narrative that it's Jim Crow. Yeah. Well, and we talked about it last week. We talked about what the what the law did. And, and all you hear parroted is you can't even give somebody water. Wrong. That's that's false. Yeah. And you can bring water. You can drink all you want when you're standing at water or soda, but you can't drink alcohol. But you can do all those things. It's not meant as a an inducement for a vote. You can't be a political operative giving you something. I don't know if people know this or not. Um, in 18, I think it was 1841, um, in Baltimore, Edgar Allan Poe died the night of the election. And he, there was a practice at the time of going to vote multiple times. I know, shocking, right, that people would do this. But they would give you a drink of whiskey to induce you to go vote again somewhere else that you hadn't been already for that day to goose the votes. And it happened on both sides, so I won't say it was one one party or another. But it's ironic that Edgar Allan Poe died that night mysteriously. Uh, but that was the inducement. So if you give somebody inducement, it doesn't matter how insignificant the value is. If it's an inducement to vote a certain way, that's illegal. That's all we're saying. The, well, the, other, thing, well, the other thing is that we could go through this chapter and verse is that the law expands your ability to vote early to 17 days. Now, I guess you could t- you can take the position that that's still not enough. We need six months, whatever. But, but again, in what universe is that racist or suppressing the vote? Of course it's not. They're lying. They're yeah. lying because they understand that they want to gin up unrest and, and racial animosity. The other thing that it says is you can actually use, I think, four or five different ways to identify who you are at the poll. You can use an ID you can use i'm trying to think what you can use a utility bill yes or you can get a same day i like ballot by establishing who you are it's sort of the whole idea of like a provisional ballot although i don't even think they call it a provisional ballot they allow they allow for ballot drop boxes being expanded so they have inside which is now limiting because now you have to walk oh you have to go inside right well and and who could possibly navigate that? There might be, I don't know, a moat, and then you've got to go through the laser beams. Well, it's a pandemic, you know. We, we shouldn't have to get out of our cars. We should be able to drop it off in a ballot box that's unsupervised and unseen and harder to control because that's what people need. And you, right. can only, you can't register to vote more than or less than seven days out from the election. Oh, no. You, you mean you're right. in well, advance? Well, this gets back to the point that we make repeatedly, which is it sounds like – 
very much like the people that make these claims over and over seem to think that the people that they claim to represent are a bunch of infants who can't navigate their way through the difficult world in which they live, even though these people have managed to purchase homes and enter federal buildings and fly on planes. And what I would say is if I was one of these alleged marginalized people that just couldn't do it, I would say, not in my name, you're going to claim that I can't manage to go inside a building or get an ID or any of the other things that, as I said, sounds very reminiscent of Al Campanis. No, no, you don't understand. These oppressed people lack the necessities, Chad. That's literally what the Democratic Party and its supporters are claiming, by the way, against the established views in polling over and over of the very groups that they are claiming can't do this and don't want it because they've said repeatedly, African-Americans, oh, we want we want voter ID. I'm not even talking about voter ID in Georgia. That's not even the issue. So they've they've completely, once again, misrepresented what this legislation is about in the hope that no one's going to bother and the media won't report it. And by the way, what's the end game here, Chad? The end game is for them to then say, this is yet another reason why we have to nuke the filibuster, because look at this invidious Jim Crow era stuff that's going on. We don't have a choice. We have to put a stop to this. That's what this is about. Well, even the Washington Post, yes, that Washington Post fact-checked Biden, and they disagreed with his assertion that this is racist and somehow something those fact checkers are fired well if they're not they should be they don't understand their job (laughs) it's it's totally unbelievable to me that this is so this has real world repercussions so why do i say that so coca-cola has come out and condemned the law apparently nobody at coca-cola could read the law because they condemn things that didn't exist. Well, Coca-Cola is doing really well lately. They also came yeah. out with their whole uh, down with whiteness initiative. That that kind of backfired. They yanked that. So yeah. let's 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 you know up our game and and support some other ridiculous meme that is completely contrary to the truth. That good good on Coke. Yeah, Delta the airline Delta Airlines president came out with the same I can't read spiel because he parroted everything that that the Democrats have said so far. And Major League Baseball moved the All-Star game from Atlanta to apparently now, uh, I think it's in Denver, in, in Coors Field. Wow. Here's what I love about that, Chad. Yeah. Okay, so woke Major League Baseball, they're going to punish Atlanta. Now, let me think. So Atlanta, I'm pretty sure, along with Chicago, New York, Oakland, it's one of the hotbeds of MAGA conservatism, isn't it, Chad? Oh, definitely, yes. yes. So, so it's gonna, uh, you're going to stick it to all those people in Atlanta that voted for Donald. Oh, wait a minute. Wait, maybe this is the reason that Stacey Abrams is out there saying, uh, uh, yeah, this is Jim Crow, but I, I don't think it's a good idea to boycott Atlanta. <laughs> yeah, it didn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, here's the interesting question. No word for Major League Baseball and the other 82 games are going to be played in Atlanta. Oh, they didn't, they didn't get they didn't think that far. It's just the All-Star game. It Listen, is. as far as I care at this point about Major League Baseball, uh, this is as my favorite Mike Tyson quote, they can continue their fade into Bolivian. I don't I I literally could by the way, this is the correct way to say this. I by could way. not care less. There yes. is no less caring. Yes, than I, I can have. 
lower to care about. Yeah, that's going to upset some of our fans, um, our listeners here who think that Major League Baseball is the end all and be all. I'm sorry. I agree with Tony. If it ended tomorrow, it would not cause me one iota of lost sleep at all. Here's the thing. I used to actually uh, probably – Major League Baseball has never been my favorite sport, but I used to follow it pretty closely. But Mm -hmm. I'm talking well over a decade before. And I could probably have told you – I could probably get three starters deep on almost every major league team with the possible exception of, you know, a few of the, you know, the basement dwellers. So I have a really good friend, one of my best friends who is a huge, uh, you probably know who this person is a huge Kansas city Royals fan. And I was talking to him on opening day and I told him that I could not identify you could have given me 10 hours. I could not have come up with the name of a single starter on their pitching staff. And I think I said, who's the, who's the number one starter for the Royals? And it's some guy named Keller. Do you even know who it is? And, and I said, I, I literally have no clue. Couldn't have summoned that from, from the depths of my memory. Just don't even know. I, I simply just really don't care about baseball anymore. I will be honest with you, when the Pirates lost to the Braves in uh, 1993, that was the last time I watched baseball with any regularity. Um, Just because my team has stunk since 1993, and there's been nothing to watch, and I'm bored. So, I I think you and I talked about this as well. If you do a man-on-the-street quiz, Mm -hmm. and you spot them, say, okay, you're not allowed to say Mike Trout. Okay, well, you know what? One more. You're not allowed to say Bryce Harper. On the East Coast, people might know Bryce Harper. Name me your next most well-known baseball player. Who Current, current baseball player. Who are they going to say? Uh, I bet I would bet 90% of the man on the street people that you interviewed would not have a clue. They couldn't. I bet they couldn't come up with a single name. Could I say Bobby Bonilla because he's still being paid by the Mets? <laughs> That's right. Yes. Ron Guidry. Louisiana know. Lightning. He's my favorite. How's he doing? Yeah, you're right. And and I'm not I'm the wrong person to ask that question, but I, I don't know. I, I brought up all that because I, I wanted to say there are real world repercussions from the rhetoric we're hearing from the Democratic Party about the Georgia law. Because what you've done is you've taken a, you've taken money out of the pockets of the restaurants and the hotels and the the other entertainment venues in the Atlanta area for this weekend, things that they planned for, counted for, yeah. probably built things around to make it more attractive to the consumer walking by. You took that away and you had no repercussions. As you said, these are probably not MAGA voters, most of them in this community. So who are you punishing really? You're punishing the people who voted for you well, and again that that would be bad enough if they even if their claims were true right so in other words let's say there really w- were things in this legislation that were intentionally suppressing the vote wouldn't you think that those people would then have a conversation to say all right we want america to know how wicked this legislation is but do we think it's a good idea to your point to to remove, essentially to boycott and punish 
small businesses, restaurants, all of the people in the Atlanta metro area. No, that would still be a terrible idea because you're actually not accomplishing anything other than probably harming people that are themselves harmed by this law, right? Again, we're assuming in fantasy land that what they claim about it is true. So that would be a horrible approach, even if their claims were accurate. It's doubly bad when they're lying about what's in the statute in order to gin up racial animosity. And then on top of it, the decision is made by Major League Baseball to punish people that they claim that they want to help. It's it's bizarro world. I I, I get I grow weary of the and again, this goes back to our friend in the first segment. Call a lie a lie. Don't support a lie because he supported this. He 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 parroted the same talking points in one of his posts this week. Well, speaking as I've I've actually reminded him, uh, we we occasionally uh, exchange emails because he people email him all the time, uh, yeah. and I said, you know, I'm I'm really not seeing uh, the promised speaking truth to power. That was the that was the mantra for four years. We're going to speak truth to power. What that actually meant was we're going to rail against Donald Trump. Which you know what. That's that's completely his prerogative. There's many, many, many people who enjoy and still enjoy railing against Donald Trump. But the point is that if you're actually going to be a truth teller, then you need to do that in both directions. And in case he hasn't noticed, there's a new power in town and they're doing a lot of lying. And of course, as we fully expected, that really isn't receiving, let's just say, the same level of laser-like scrutiny that was uh, <laughs> afforded to the prior Hitlerian administration. Yeah, that, I guess that would be my contention. It, if you want to be a partisan supporter, that's fine. Just be honest about it. Be a partisan supporter. Say you're a partisan supporter. And continue to rail against those on the other side that you disagree with for whatever reason, but don't don't tell me you're objective and you're speaking truth to power. You're you're looking at both sides when you're really clearly not looking at both sides. I'm not saying you have to be a Donald Trump supporter, but you should also recognize that Joe Biden is adled. You should recognize that the lies about the Georgia voting law are exactly that lies. You shouldn't repeat verbatim what you've been told from the bully pulpit of the president. That's not. That's not understanding the nuance of what's being said. And again, I question, are you being intellectually dishonest or are you naive that, again, words, if I say the words, if the right person says the right words I want to hear, then it's fine. It doesn't matter if it's a lie. The right person said the word, so therefore it's okay. Remember when we, remember when we talked about, this was maybe a couple episodes ago, this um, phenomenon by which a lot of the most vocal and ardent Trump opponents, uh, and this tends to be, or even on sort of among progressives, they tend to fixate almost exclusively on words, right? Mm -hmm. In other words, they'll listen to a speech and say, well, didn't you hear what, what Barack Obama just said in that glorious speech? This is what's actually happening. And the, the rejoinder to that is, well, political rhetoric, that, that's very nice. I'm glad that you were, you know, felt uh, lifted on wings of eagles by his tremendous Cairo speech. But nevertheless, how about we pay attention to what's actually going on on the ground as these alleged policies are being implemented? Do they work? And what was fascinating to me, there was a perfect 
perfect representation of this on our friend's blog, I don't know, a couple of days ago, where he literally parroted verbatim the the talking points issued by this administration about the infrastructure bill. And mm-hmm. so he cited to some article, and then he said, you know, he'll he'll sort of cut and paste things and then he will add his editorial. And he literally said, here is what this bill is going to do. And then it was a transcription of what the administration claimed as if there's no other possible way, you know, perhaps we should examine, for instance, whether, I don't know, some of the claims are accurate or whether they're complete fabrications or whether the congressional budget office says none of this is possible. No, no, it was he wants to talk about court evangelicals. Good grief. This uncritical acceptance of, well, the regime has spoken. Read the scroll. It's all good. It, it was actually amazing to me to read that the level of willing suspension of disbelief to say, listen, a moral and decent man to use what's her name? Uh, Al Sindor, the alleged journalist, right? Now that we have a moral and decent man occupying the Oval Office, we just slurp up everything that they're serving. It must be true. The infrastructure bill must be an unmitigated good. <laughs> well, that, that's basically what it comes down to. And maybe to. some of it is. Well, okay, I'm, I'm, open, I'm open to having a debate about the merits of, of all of these various trillions that we must be printing off of, I don't know. I, I mean, where this money is coming from is just unbelievable. Conjecture and speculation. Hold on, hold on. I've got the solution here. This is this is coming. Is this the from, Krugman trillion dollar coin? No, this is not. This I don't is, know why they haven't re-implemented that. Yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, the the Biden administration said increasing corporate tax rates, which Donald Trump reduced but not by very long will pay for his infrastructure bill now I here see. understand trillions remember this infrastructure bill is what two more trillion well now here's here's the fine print that we don't talk about a lot which what, is joe is enumerate <laughs> so is everybody else who's making this reg so it'll take 15 years to oh. pay for a 10 year program Oh, but and actually, the ten-year program, most of it is being spent in the first what, two or three years. Yeah. How does that work? And see, then now I'm not sure if Joe realizes this. I know he thinks he's the new FDR. I don't think he's still going to be president, or frankly, alive. Uh, I don't say that in a mean-spirited way, just given oh. his age. In 15 years, although. Now, I have to give them credit. They may be figuring that they're also going to amend that provision or just issue an executive order that says the Harris administration will exist until um, you know a team of bureaucrats decide when its mission is accomplished. So that might be until 2050. I don't sure, know. Sure, But it's going to take 15 years to pay for a 10-year program, which means it's not going to be paid for it. Right. And the other thing is, which I'm pretty sure they don't have any understanding that guess what? When you implement, let's say, increased taxes, that is not what we call a static system, which means there's going to be a dynamic response to those, which includes 
Oh, things like corporate inversions. Remember, those are the horrible mm. companies who who flee America because they don't want to pay confiscatory tax rates. And then Democratic politicians wail and moan about the fact that these unpatriotic companies are leaving. And why are they doing that? Oh, wait, that's right. That's because we've raised taxes to the point where it's not profitable for them to actually exist. Huh, that's such a mystery. So this idea that you're going to have this guaranteed revenue stream, oh no, you're not. Because again, tax rates do not equal tax revenue. And the reason for that is that frequently when you lower rates, your revenue can go up. Well, that's ridiculous, Tony. What are you, some sort of Lafferite, right? You, you, are you the, you're the trickle down moron. No, no. It's because businesses decide in a more, let's just say, welcoming tax environment that they're going to actually build factories and hire workers and invest in research and development. And even though they're paying a smaller percentage, it's of a larger, much larger revenue stream, and therefore we get more money. But that concept is also completely foreign to the current thinking of the Biden administration. Yeah, so 95% of this infrastructure bill, as our friend has said, it's all infrastructure. Even paying daycare workers is infrastructure. I see. Roads, bridges, tunnels, infrastructure. Daycare workers, not infrastructure, but 95%. How about 75 million to Palestine? Oh, infrastructure? Yeah. Well, they're infrastructure to hurl bombs at Israel. Well, no, no, no. Now, that's a very cynical thing. Yes. They have guaranteed that this money, which is special non-fungible money, oh, okay, yes. they're going to print the non-fungible cash, that will never be used by the Palestinian Authority and its proxies, Hezbollah, Hamas, that will never be used for terrorism. It will only be used for uh, Make-A-Wish Children's Hospitals in Palestine. Yes. yes. So don't please don't make that suggestion because it's been carefully earmarked. Yeah, I, I will put that right up there with uh, AOC's claim that you can't call, you can't use the word surge about the border or crisis because these are not insurgents, they are children oh so in other words she would she would make a sentence like this when the lightning bolt struck we had a power insurgency is that what she would say probably probably i get it i get it those are synonymous terms they may derive from the same word but they are not the same meaning she should probably remind joe biden who was the one that actually said during the campaign that they they should surge to the border yeah you must have meant you should have an insurgency to the border well it's children so it's okay because it's children they're not insurgents anyway i was told on good authority that a bipartisan bill can be passed for this infrastructure even if literally nobody from the other party votes for it that sounds reasonable so let that trickle through your brain for a second folks if only one party votes for it, votes in favor of it. How, how is it? By well, because the reason is, Chad, that they should have voted for it. And uh, therefore, since they know they should have voted for it, and therefore have admitted in their minds that even though they're obstructionists, it's really a good thing. That's why it's bipartisan. You well, understand? I was, told, I was told by a Democratic spokesperson that because there's lots of good things in it, 
for Republicans and Republican districts. Therefore, it's bipartisan. Ah, well, that you know what? That makes sense, too, because that's the time honored. They just don't understand their own interests. See, if you just understood why our enlightened policies are better for you. In other words, for instance, why you should be prosecuted for using the wrong pronouns or fired from your job. That's actually better for you because it will help your mind. uh, It will help you align with the right side of history. So even though you believe that it's a deprivation of liberty, you just are all confused. You're suffering from false consciousness, but we will help you. We're going to send you to the YWCA re-education centers. And when you come out, you will appreciate what we've done for you. I, I get it. I actually think that I agree with that definition now. It totally makes sense to somebody, but it isn't me. Um, and I've been told by authority tonight, the, the Senate parliamentarian claims that they can pass this infrastructure bill through reconciliation and therefore bypass the filibuster. Well, that's a shocker. Who, who, could, have, who could have expected that? Well, they're going to attach it to the COVID relief bill they just passed, which I thought was passed and signed, so therefore is law. How do you add something after it's already been done? Yeah, well, you know. And reconciliation is only supposed to occur once every year, but apparently no, no. we didn't get enough this is, And this is all part of unity, Chad. This is sure. reaching out because, again, we can't help it, meaning Joe Biden, if his hugs – are not reciprocated. He's reaching out with all of this good stuff for us. The sure. Equality Act, HR1, all of this mass, it's not a crisis, don't call it a crisis. It's uh it's like a garden party at the border. All sure. of this that's going on is just a big piñata party, daycare, whatever you want to call it. But all of this stuff is reaching out. You just don't appreciate it. You don't appreciate it the right way. You should look at it from our perspective. I want to finish tonight with um how do I say this? Um, did the New York Jets fleece the Carolina Panthers? Panthers oh, or yes, sports. Panthers extra. Did they see something that literally nobody else in the league saw? So you're you're not a Sam Darnold fan, is that what I'm I'm taking? Well, to be fair, he had Todd he was Bowles, playing for the Jets. Todd Bowles and Adam Gase as his coaches. Not great. Well, Todd Bowles' Ooh. defense problem is not offense. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Darnold is a quarterback, not a cornerback. Uh, and Adam Gase, he's just train wreck. I, I don't understand why he was hired after getting fired by the Dolphins. Anyway, the Dolphins just or the uh, Panthers just picked up for three draft picks. I don't know what level they were. Sam Darnold from the Jets. And, well, I don't, think, I don't think any of them are first rounders. Because uh, seventh rounders. Because huh? are they seventh rounders? Because that's what they should be. Um, well, but here's the thing. I don't know. We might disagree on this. See, we disagree the most when it comes to sports. We do. I don't, um, number one, I don't think you could ever fairly evaluate Sam Darnold, uh, playing for that dumpster fire. So it's very, very difficult, uh, because he had really nothing around him. I think for a year and a half, he what? Le'Veon Bell for a year and a half. Oh yes. Le'Veon. What was, I mean, Le'Veon's best years were apparently, there's a good reason that the Steelers let him walk. Um, Here's the, so the interesting thing is Darnold is a guy in terms of physical tools who who actually can make all the throws that you want. He's a big guy. He's actually pretty he's surprisingly mobile. He's not he's not a guy that's going to be, you know, running around like Russell Wilson, but he can evade pressure. So he has that he can move the pocket. Um 
why wouldn't you take a flyer on this guy? And again, I would have to see exactly what the draft picks were. But I think it's a pretty low-risk, high-reward scenario if they didn't give up a first-round pick, and I don't think that they did. They gave up a sixth-round pick this year, second- and fourth-round picks in 2022. Okay. Yeah, so, I mean, to me, that's a no- six-round pick? Are you kidding? Are you, so I you're know. down there picking, picking a long snapper? I mean, that – that is nothing. So they basically gave them nothing for this year in return for Sam Darnold. I don't know. Are they taking on any cap hit? Well, they'd have to take on a salary, wouldn't they? To do that. I, I don't know. know. What the, well, I don't know whether I don't know whether that was part of the negotiations where some of that was supposed to be paid off. I don't know. Yeah, they're going to take on what's his what's his current salary? What's his current cap hit? Uh, let me look here. I mean, I, I don't know, but to me, for a guy that has flashed the kind of potential that Darnold has flashed, that's a pretty, that's a pretty again low risk, with a very high reward possible uh, scenario there. So I kind of like that move. What's yeah. the worst that happens? Well, they also have Teddy Bridgewater on the team. Yeah, but Teddy yeah. Bridgewater is not the QB of the future. I mean, I, that's I the thing. Teddy Bridgewater is a a highly competent sort of slightly above average NFL starter. You can win games with him, but now you've got a guy in who's the possible, again, you're going to glass half full possible quarterback of the future. And if he flames out and he actually stinks and it was him and not the jets, what have you lost? Not much. Donald has a $920,000 salary this year with a roster bonus of $3.8 million. So again, nothing. He's still on his point eight this year. Cap hit of what? 9.8 9.8 million because of prorated uh, signing bonuses from before. That, that's still, as far as cap hits go, pretty yeah. negligible. Now, it's interesting to know whether their plan is that this is now an open quarterback competition, or which I'm assuming it has to be. Sure. You can't bring him in and say, well, we want him to learn behind Teddy Bridgewater. No, <laughs> no, no. Their hope is that he wins the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he does, and even is a uh, you know a serviceable starter, that's that's a gamble that paid off for them. Well, I guess if Christian McCaffrey is back and full health, maybe he's got a weapon. I don't know. We'll see. And, uh, by the way, it's Christian McCaffrey, not McCafferty. Oh, sorry, sorry, yes, my... that's a, that's a common yes, that's a common error. But yes. the, the McCaffrey family thanks you for pronouncing his last name properly. Well, you know, easy Ed. I can't really get past that. Um, I know he's got brothers, but. Well, you know, didn't like it because he was on the Broncos? No, I didn't care one way or the other if he was on the Broncos. Well, I don't know I, if this was like a Steelers thing. No, I don't care. I thought he was a good, a good receiver. I mean, that's best I can say. He was a good receiver for the Broncos. Uh, didn't, he play for, didn't he play for the Jets for a while? A little bit? I can't remember. I can't wor- remember where he went after. Uh, after Denver, but that's quite uh, that's quite the athletic family right there. Oh yeah, they they've got some some bad skills for sure. Because I think mom, I think mom is a very high level. I'm not sure if Olympic, but like Division One volleyball player. And then I think even beyond that, parents of parents are also uh, very high caliber athletes. So that is definitely a, a genetically blessed family. Yeah, he, he played for the Giants for three years, a year That's for right. Oh, and then the rest of his career with Denver. Um, I, I want to say a shout-out. Uh, Ed McCaffrey was born in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, and we have a listener who was also born in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania, and I just wanted to shout-out to them. 
I uh, wonder if is Ed McCaffrey the most famous person born in Waynesboro, Pennsylvania? Probably not. No, I think our listener is. I think. Oh, that's true. Well, second most famous. Second, yeah, second most famous. It's kind of like when uh, when uh, Ben Shapiro ranks the doctors. You know, Doctor J, Doctor Pepper, Doctor Joe Biden. You know. <laughs> uh, so I think Ed McCaffrey is probably behind our listener. I won't, I won't embarrass him by uh, calling out his name, but I just think he knows who he is. And um, shout out to Waynesboro, Pennsylvania. Uh, he went to Allentown central Catholic though for high school. So he didn't stay in Waynesboro indefinitely. Um, who was the, uh, who was the Chevy chase doctor, the double name doctor from Fletch? Oh, Oh, see, I, it's I just going to bother me now. <laughs> and since, since we do no prep, uh, neither of us oh. know the answer. Isn't it like Dr. Rosen Rosen? Yes, it was. Yes. Rosen, Rosen. Dr. That's Rosen Rosen. <laughs> so he he's <laughs> might be he might be fourth on <laughs> <laughs> Uh yeah, that's uh that's a good one. Um yeah, so I, I don't know what's gonna happen with Carolina, but it, it was an interesting trade. I always like to see a trade just because it's interesting. It it changes something to some to something. Yeah. Oh, speaking of Carolina, before we exit stage left, yes. uh also Carolina at the college basketball front. Mm. Roy Williams. Roy mm-hmm. Williams has retired. Uh, he's on the Mount Rushmore. Uh, I was I was talking to my buddy about this. So if you had to pick the five modern, so we're going to exclude people like Adolph Rupp, and we're going to exclude John Wooden, who of course is going to you know he's the leading figure on any Mount Rushmore. <laughs> um, who who are the five modern college basketball coaches? that go up there. I have my list. I'd be interested to see who you would, who you would say. Uh, are we, we talking about achievement or. Yeah. Other- just, just all of it. Um, wins, titles, uh, sort of iconic stature. Iconic. And we can't do wooden. Well, no, because he's, I mean, he's sort of straddles the divide, but most of his glory days at UCLA is back during Lou Alcindor and then yeah. Bill Walton. So you're in the the sixties and the seventies. So basically post 1980. Okay. Just what, so just an aside. I've been inside Rupp arena for a basketball game and I have a friend who worked on a book with, um, John Wooden. Okay. Help. Helped uh, promote a book for John Wooden. So he, I mean, th- again, he clearly belongs. He's he's going to be the number one selection. But I'm focused on basically the last forty years. Okay, so from 1980 on. Yes. Uh, and, and I don't and, necessarily like all these. And these I will people. tell you if your answer is correct, of course, or not. Dean Smith. Correct. That is a correct answer. I'm not going to like this. Mike Shashevsky. Yeah, of course. I mean that that's a, that's a no brainer. He has to be on there. That's two. Uh, do I say Bobby Knight because he had an undefeated? I think you have to say Bobby Knight because he won two titles. He had an undefeated uh, team in what seventy five. Oh, but see, that's before, that's our pre. But he straddles the era, so he's oh, yeah, he went in. He, he's close. Um, I think Knight goes on there. So you got two slots left. Two slots. Uh, is Jim Beheim in there? No, that's an incorrect answer. Well, now here's the thing. Here's the correct answer, which should have been a clue. Roy Williams, dude. Roy Williams has oh, 900 yeah. career wins and three <laughs> titles. Yeah, but that's two from North Carolina. Three from Carolina. None from Kansas. But he went. He won over 450 games at both places. Three national championships. He's on there. So we have one spot left. Well, do we slide him in be, as Kansas and leave Dean Smith as UNC? Even though no, Roy- because he won't make it as Kansas. He doesn't make it on on oh, Kansas man. alone. 
So you got one slot left. Who's it going to be? There's only two names that it can be. I'll uh-huh. give you credit for if you pick one of the two. Well, it's either Rick Pitino or John Calipari. No, those are both incorrect. Who are you picking? It's got to be either Tom Izzo or Jim Calhoun. Oh, oh, really? Why? Pretty, well, because here's the thing. How many titles does Patino have? One, right? What? I think How many titles does Calipari have? One. They blew it when he coached Memphis, and one of the reasons that the Kentucky fans have now soured on him is because despite his years of ridiculous one-and-done All-Stars, they only won one while he's at Kentucky. So yeah. it cannot be Calipari. Patino is closer. Here's the deal. Calhoun has, I think, he has at least three, and he might have four. Check that. I'll look that up. Hold on. And Izzo has two, and Michigan State has been a perennial top 10, most seasons top five program uh, while he's been there. So I think their his resume is better than Patino slightly. Um, and Calhoun's the same thing. Calhoun's kind of under the radar. How many, how many did you come with? Three. three for Calhoun. So he's got three. Izzo has two. And I think win totals. Now, look, I think Patino is a brilliant coach. Might be the best coach of that quartet. But in terms of career accomplishments, longevity, uh, I'm not even counting Patino's extracurricular against him. <laughs> uh, Izzo only has one. Oh, he only has one? Okay. Yeah. Then I will allow you to slot Patino in uh, well, for Izzo. I, I would say I think Bayheim for longevity because he's got one. He might have more than one because he won with – he definitely won with Carmelo. And didn't he win one other one? I think he has two. Let me look here. He might. Uh, I'm pretty sure Bayheim has two. I know they made it to the championship, and I think that's one of the years that uh, Keith Smart beat them on the famous uh, jumper – uh, from the left baseline there, uh, but I'm pretty sure Beheim has two. I could be wrong about that. Um, he definitely has one, maybe two. So, okay, so the ones that are vying for the remaining slot are among Beheim, Calhoun, and Patino. Okay, I I think I would go with Patino only because he has done it in more places. He has Louisville, Kentucky. And even Iona made it to yeah. the... No, like I said, I think he's a brilliant coach. I mean, well, you forget, he started Providence, right? Yes. Um, and got them... Did they make a run to the final four? Maybe they, the Elite Eight? I think that's when Billy Donovan was their, uh, was their point guard. So... I'm looking here, I don't know. And by the way, does Patino, does Patino have an, a national championship at Louisville and Kentucky? Uh, I don't think he had one at Louisville, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't think he does either. I think he just had Kentucky. Yeah. And of course, Patino is coaching the famous Kentucky team that loses to Duke on the Leitner mother beater uh, that probably would have won the national championship, was probably the best team that year. So, okay, I will accept Patino. So he took um, took Providence to the final four in 86-87 season. They finished fourth, but he did take them to the final four. Uh, won with Kentucky in 95-96, runner-up in 96-97. Then he went to the 
Uh, no, Louisville. He final four. He had a final. Well, he had. A, he did have a championship, but it was vacated. Oh, that's right. And he had a final four the year before. So 20, 2011, 2012 was a final four vacated and a 2012, 2013 championship vacated. Yeah. Well, you know what? It still counts. I'm sorry. They're all cheating. <laughs> to, one, to one degree or another. Sure. Let's go with that. Yeah. To one degree or another. I mean, I don't, I don't think Roy is cheating. I don't really think Krzyzewski is. Most of these guys are, uh, but college basketball is a pretty dirty, pretty dirty yeah. business. Well, so, I, I, does, so does that exclude Patino? Are you are you concerned? No, no. Because the exclusions usually come about eligibility or something like that. And I don't remember what his vacate reason was, but uh, I just feel like uh, no, I because he's because we'd have to reduce uh, Calipari that for the same reasons for the same. Yeah. Game. Speaking of which, uh, right now the national championship game is ongoing. Yes. And Baylor is leading Gonzaga by nine, which is interesting. Is it? Well, Baylor's really good. I, I actually, uh, even though I picked Gonzaga in my pool and I said I would stick with them just because of consistency, I told a buddy of mine that I thought Baylor was going to win. Well, I, at this point, they're both, <clears throat> and I know they're number one seeds, but they're both kind of upsets to me. Um, Gonzaga's never really produced, and they've been highly rated for years. And they never really produce anything. So this is a step. Well, what do you mean? They've never really produced anything. I mean, they're highly rated for years, and they've gone to – look, they lost to Carolina in the championship game a couple right. of years ago. They've gone to multiple Final Fours. They're, they're now a powerhouse program, sure. um, and they're unbeaten. I know. They are literally unbeaten in the championship game. Now, hold on a second. Unbeaten conference only. Till what do you got mean? Well, no, Sure. Conference, so you yes. didn't have a conference chance. Yeah, to- but remember, yeah, okay, in their conference, but they also played out of conference. They played some pretty good teams early, and they've yeah. been waxing. Other than the most recent UCLA game, which was a classic, they've right. been crushing people in the tournament. Yeah, but I, when I look at um, UNLV in 1990, yeah. I, I love the team that played all over the country with all different teams and lost in the championship to Duke, but they played all over. This year, to me, is a little bit of an asterisk if you're undefeated. Not because you're undefeated, because it, it's still an accomplishment to be undefeated. But you're undefeated in your conference, and you get to the tournament where it's one and done. So it really, you have to stay undefeated in the tournament. It just doesn't feel like it's the same level of undefeated to me. Or the no, maybe maybe line. in another a different show, we'll talk about, um, particularly if Gonzaga wins. Because I was having an argument with my buddy, you know, where he was saying that uh, this this makes them their resume now because this has not been done since bobby knight's indiana team 75 76 so we're going on that's what 45 years that a team has run the table it's not easy to do i give credit to gonzaga but i don't think i would put them in the top five in terms of i think that unlv team uh that lost to duke and they really shouldn't have lost to Duke. They were going for back-to-back titles, and they had crushed Duke in the finals the year before. Duke got their revenge, uh, but that team had Larry Johnson, Stacey Augman, Anderson Hunt, Greg Anthony. I mean, that team, I think, produced four relatively long-careered NBA players, and Larry Johnson, Grandmama, for those of you that don't remember, was a legit all-star until he kind of wrecked his back. Yeah. Um, and then he wasn't, he wasn't the same guy anymore. So I, that team was ridiculously good. Coached by Jerry Tarkanian. 
Chewing um, on his towel. Chews on his towel. <laughs> that's the great. That's a great image to see. We'll have to see. I, I mean, if Gonzaga wins, sixty-seven oh, oh, fifty-one. Taylor, uh, twelve minutes left. That's uh, yeah. that doesn't look good for Gonzaga right now. We'll see. Yeah, Tony just dated our podcast. Thanks, Tony. What do you mean? I just dated it. Are we not supposed to? Well, you just put in exactly what happens. So if anybody listens to this a week from now, they're going to go, oh, I already know that. Well, Duh. that's true. That's true. <laughs> well, they don't know the ending. They don't know the ending. There's 12 minutes left. So Because neither do we. That's right. <laughs> All right. Anything else you want to share tonight, Tony? That's it. All right. Thank you for joining us, folks. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. <laughs>